0: so it's a new year 2019 we're uh, we're doing a, a new series the series is called how not to do 2019 um, <laughs> yeah we well the 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 question that's kind of animating us really this whole month is you know if god were going to like kind of give advice you know like for, for 2019, what do, you, what do you want to stay away from? How do you want 2019 not to end up? Um, well, the place to find out where that would be would be uh, the book of Jeremiah. And so we're going to be in Jeremiah for uh, the next uh, four Sundays. It's uh, well, let's just, let's just take a look. Um, fast forward a couple slides. There's a picture of Jeremiah. I'd like to give you a little background on who this guy is. He, this is the Sistine Chapel, um, up on the left on the screen. And that's a close-up of Jeremiah and the Sistine Chapel. You can see he's pretty bummed. He's, uh, he's known colloquially as the weeping prophet. Uh, he's, he's lamenting. He's sad. The reason he's sad is on the right there is a 19th century, um, Drawing a German artist portrayal of King Josiah. If you don't know, King Josiah was uh, the king before Jeremiah got on the scene, and he was the last good king of Israel. Israel was, was unlike, unlike us here in the United States of America, Israel had problems with its government. And so they, we, because our government is by the people and for the people, we're, uh, we're, we're set there. But Israel wasn't. And so they had a really big problem with leaders and they finally got a good one in this guy Josiah. Josiah um while he was king they found some old scrolls probably Deuteronomy that had been like put away by all these all these bad kings and Josiah was like wait we have God's law we should look at that. And they did and they and, they, and he instituted these reforms and he changed Israel. He's like we're going to go back on the the path like where we're following God instead of doing whatever we want. And it it works out really great. And so all of Israel, especially the, the common normal people are like, yes, finally, uh, there's been this, this course changed. And then Josiah dies and his, uh, kids and then eventually grandkids take over. And, uh, they're, they're horrible. They're really, really bad. And most of them end up, um, dead or in exile or in exile and dead. And Jeremiah is the guy who gets to walk up to them and be like, you're horrible. Here's why. And so his whole job, his whole ministry was was talking to the descendants of Josiah and and being like, bad news, you're the worst, and here's the reasons why you're the worst. And you're ruining everything, you're destroying the country, and you're going to make everything fall apart. So he spends a lot of time not laughing, but weeping, and... We're going to look because it's interesting. You know, Israel, uh, and I was going to t- talk about this later, but I'm, it's, it's good now. Does anyone have any idea? Like, so basically, Jeremiah does his thing. He tells the, the kings, you need to change. They don't listen. They all die. And then there's an exile. All of Israel's cart, well, 25% of Israel's carted off to uh, Babylon. Do you know, does anyone know approximately what the, we think, we're, you know, best guess, like the, the population of Jerusalem. Like before they all get carted off. I mean, does anyone have like a just a ballpark figure? What do you think, population-wise? What we think based on archeological evidence. The Bible is not too clear about um, population. There doesn't seem to be a nobody. What's that? Just throw it out there. Get crazy. What do you think? Well, let me ask you this: How many people live in San Clemente? Do you know that? Sixty-five thousand people. Yeah, okay, anyone know how many people live in Mission Viejo? 100,000, 95,000, right, yeah, so 65 to 95,000. Um, in, in Jerusalem, they think that somewhere in between there, like right around 75,000, 80,000 people, okay? Now, 80,000 people's not really that much in the grand scheme of things. And these are the people of God. And if the people of God, only 80,000 of them, you know, back in, in ancient Israel, well, dude, we got that, like... Right around here, we got way, we got way more than that. And God's people, I mean, yeah, we're not ancient Israelites, but we're still God's people, right? So the words that God has to ancient Israel is the words to us too. It's not like there's a, yeah, there's a lot of time, but God's God's word speaks directly to His people and doesn't stop doing that. And so here is Jeremiah, and it sounds like he's just yelling at this totally foreign culture. Of this no, he's yelling right at us. So how not to do 2019? Well, let's not do what the people of Israel did. Let's take a look at bad kings. This is, uh, this is uh, mostly the CEB translation. I've made some edits where it needs to be made. Um, but here's the very beginning of the text. Yahweh proclaims, "'Go down to the palace of the king of Judah "'and declare this message. "'Listen to Yahweh's word, king of Judah, "'you who sit on David's throne, "'you and your attendants, "'and all those who go through these gates.'" Yahweh proclaims, execute justice and do right by your people. Rescue the oppressed from the power of the oppressor. Don't exploit or mistreat the refugee, the orphan, the widow. Don't spill the blood of the innocent in this place. I want to highlight there, more tra- classic translations, instead of saying, execute justice and do right, people will say things like, uh, you know, do justice and righteousness. This is a huge, really important concept in Hebrew. It's mishpat and tzedakah. These are uh, two almost synonymous words. We tend to think of righteousness as like uh, following rules. Uh, we think of justice as making sure that the person who um, you know didn't follow the rules gets punished and the one who did uh, doesn't. That's not totally how God thinks about justice. Uh, he thinks about it more like, hey, uh, especially for people in power, when you're looking down, do you see things being the way they ought to be? Given that you're in charge of these people and this is your job, are things the right way? If they're not, then fix them. You've been given the responsibility of this people, these people, and you have an obligation to them. So what should you be doing? Well, here's some verbs for you. Rescue. Rescue the oppressed. Don't exploit or mistreat the refugee. Only because it's a hot political topic right now, I do want to mention um, alien, foreigner, refugee. When it gets brought up in the New Testament, um, it's a very different context. Uh, than what we experience here in the United States of America. I, I've noticed a <laughs> in uh, political debates right now, people will be like throwing around um, passages from Scripture on both sides of the should we have immigration or not debate. And uh, that's a really both are really flat readings of the Scriptures. And by that, I mean not very attentive to context or the, the, the meaning. Um, and, in fact, in ancient Israel, it was assumed that if you immigrated to Israel, you became a proselyte or a Jew. Uh, I, in fact, the uh, Greek uh, translation of this text uses the Greek word instead of for refugee for convert or proselyte. So it was assumed that if you migrated to Israel, you became Israeli or Jewish. Uh, it's just a, a thing. All, all I'm saying is that don't, just because you read something in the Bible, don't hit someone with it and be like, take that, Facebook. I know everything. That's not a great way to um, engage in debate. Uh, and, but if you are interested in the immigration topic and you want to know um, maybe a more biblical perspective, I'd love to talk to you. So give me a call, email me. Anyway, don't mi- exploit or mistreat the refugee, the orphan, and the widow. Don't spill the blood of the innocent. What is the assumption here? Clearly, if, if Jeremiah is telling the king to do this, that not to do this, then the king is. But what's the assumption about what the king is like in Israel? He's Chuck Norris. Right? It's Chuck Norris. When life hands Chuck Norris lemons, he makes orange juice. Ah, uh, I, um, when I was growing up, my, uh, my next door neighbors, the Eichlers, uh, they were big fans of Chuck Norris films. And I don't know if they taped them off TV or they like stole them from Blockbuster or what, but they had, uh, the entire Missing in Action series. This is, uh, it's, a, it's like, it's like Rambo, but with Chuck Norris, where he, like, goes back to Vietnam to save, um, uh, hostages, like, or like POWs or something like that. The interesting thing about Chuck Norris is it's, uh, Chuck Norris is sort of like, um, an invincible ninja combat robot. Um, wherever you put Chuck Norris, everyone who's in the room is dead if he wants them to die. It's just that simple, and, and, and presumably violence is not necessarily a good thing, and so it's hard, especially for Christians sometimes, to watch violence, but it's okay when it's Chuck Norris. Why? Because Chuck Norris is always protecting the weak, right? So when Chuck Norris goes and like, bends that guy's arm in ways it should never go, we're like, yeah! Because we know it was a bad guy that got it, and that's okay. We should celebrate that, right? He was, he was oppressing orphans and widows, and Chuck Norris is like, I am going to take your kneecap off and eat it. And we're like, yeah! That's pretty much how God and, and Jeremiah think about kings. Kings are the ones who have the ability, because they've got soldiers or whatever, to go and like, just take care of business. Kings are the ones who are like, they're looking around and like, oh, you've got all this power, this influence, whatever, and things are wrong, you can make them right. You can chuck Norris your way out of this. And Jeremiah's like, you're not being Chuck Norris, you're being like the bad guy that Chuck Norris has to take out. That's not good. You're using power of what? To exploit. That's not what power's for. Power is for protection. And that's the first thing you your no cheats. Power is for protection. Hey, Israel, you're doing it wrong. Now we might think, well, that has nothing to do with us. Number one, I don't think, I, well, there's probably like a black belt here. I know a lot of you have guns. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. But presumably, we're not like, you know, we're not the sort of people who are like, huh. So this doesn't apply, right? Wrong. Uh, in the so 21st century in the United States of America, is, is power, how is power exercised? Well, it's through like, you know, how many followers you have on YouTube. It is. Can you have you seen the power that people have when they have a lot of you know Twitter followers or whatever, and they decide I'm going to ruin this person's life, and then all their friends are like, Yeah, let's do that. That's an insane amount of power. I know uh, some of us uh, here have like um, you know the Instagrams with lots of followers because of like business or whatever. You have a tremendous amount of influence over other people just by like putting something on a screen. You can make things happen in the real world by going beep, boop, beep, boop, click. I guess now it's more like, that's it. Hey Siri, change the world. And then she does. That's, that's, that is power. And what's interesting is we don't think of ourselves as being powerful people, but we have an insane amount of power. We just don't, we just don't look at it because our, in our mind we're thinking Chuck Norris, but what really we have is networks of influence. We have people that we know that can make things happen for other people. We have the ability to do this, that, or the other thing on social media. We have lots of places where we have the ability to make change in the world. And what we use it for, typically, is to make ourselves look great. Some people seek power. Some people go after it. They want influence. They want fame. They want that kind of cachet. Other people, it's just thrust on them. But I guarantee you that in one way or another, every single person here is a person of power. And that makes you a king or a queen. And that makes you responsible for using that power to protect the people who don't have it. Jeremiah goes on, this is, uh, so now he's going he's gonna to talk about some kings, that uh, some of Josiah's kids who, who have already like, failed. This is um, going on. This is what Yahweh says about Shalom, son of Judah's king Josiah, who succeeded his father Josiah as king, but who is now gone from this place. Oh, he's not coming back. He'll die where he's been exiled and never see this land again. How terrible for Shalom, who builds his house with corruption, his upper chambers with injustice, working his countrymen for nothing, refusing to give them their wages. He says, I'll build myself a grand palace with huge upper chambers, ornate windows, cedar paneling, and rich red decor. Is this what makes you a king? Having more cedar than anyone else? Didn't your father eat and drink and still do justice? Execute justice and do right by his people? Again, that's Mishpat and tzedakah. Then it went well for him. Uh, just a couple of points there. The first thing, Shalom. Shalom is a, it's a form of the word Shalom, meaning peace and prosperity. That, wasn't, uh, the, that was uh, the birth name of King Josiah's son. It was peace, prosperity. When he became king, it was... Uh, Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz. And Jehoahaz is uh the, the Hebrew for um God has God has taken ownership, God has grasped, or God has taken possession. This guy's name is all about stuff. It's about prosperity. It's about God has taken possession of this person, presumably because he's supposed to spread that around. The key uh really the key t- uh word here in this text is cedar. Cedar. Uh, Marilyn, because you go to the picture of the cedar tree? This is a Lebanese cedar. In the, uh, in the ancient world, especially ancient Israel, this was the uh, most expensive and best wood because it smelled very nice. If you have essential oils in your home, you're probably familiar with cedar wood. It's very clean, very refreshing. Uh, one time Aaron was uh, putting it on my face and some of it got in my eye. And uh, so for the next hour... Um, I had my eyes submerged in, in waters. It was like puffing and red. So, essential oils are very good for you. <laughs> uh, in the ancient world, especially in ancient Israel, cedar was really valuable because it was highly resistant to um, insects destroying it. It was highly resistant to the climate. Um, the biggest problem with cedar is that it did not grow in the land of Judah. It wasn't there. We call it Lebanese cedar because it was in places like Lebanon and Syria, you know, neighbors, but not Israel. So, if the people of Israel wanted to get cedar for their stuff, and by the way, like Solomon's Temple, that was mostly made out of cedar, mostly made out of this wood. Most of the important things that got built in the in the ancient Israel were made out of cedar. Uh, the problem is, in order to get it, they had to import it, and that means it was expensive. Because their friends, the Syrians and Lebanese, and the people around them didn't necessarily like them and wanted to make a profit. Well, Jehovah has God's possession, prosperity for the people. He needed some cedar. So what happened? If you go back to the text, you see. How terrible for Shalom, who builds his house with corruption, his upper chambers with injustice, working his countrymen for nothing, refusing to give them their wages. Why? Was he just mean? Oh, no. He needed a grand palace with huge upper chambers, ornate windows, and all of it in cedar. Jehoah has sent away for cedar and he spent all the money he had um, on his home to to get that wood. And so when it finally came, uh, he turned his his workers into slaves and made them build him a massive palace because there was nothing left over uh, to pay them wages with. And I love this translation. It's so crisp. It really gets to the Hebrew. The Hebrew is sharp and biting. It's like... Didn't your dad eat and drink? Didn't he have all the good things that are important in life? What Didn't he have food? Didn't he get to hang out and feast with his family? He did all of that, right? But he got, guess what? He also executed justice and did right by his people. And things went well for him. Jehoahaz um, was blessed by God with prosperity. He had This opportunity, he had this money, he had this stuff, these resources, and what did he do? He uh, built the biggest house he could possibly afford. And the implication is that your money's not for that, Jehovah has, shalom. Your money is for prosperity for everybody. Your money is for mercy. That's the next thing in your note sheets your money is for mercy. We tend to think, wow, we're not kings, right? We're not kings and queens. We're just normal folk. We don't have kings and queens here in the United States of America. We are no respecter of persons. But do you get the feeling, though, sometimes that if you've got a lot of stuff, people are nicer to you than if you don't? Um, I, I remember um, for a long time I dressed like I was poor because uh, it was cool in the 90s to look like you had no money. And uh, and then um, after being pulled over time after time after time, police were constantly searching my car for marijuana. uh, Finally, I just said, you know, I want to make a change here, and I started to dress better than this, like you know, like hey, and suddenly nobody bothered me. Suddenly, people gave me job offers. Like things changed, and I started to realize, you know, this this isn't so bad. Like having stuff, and 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 what I started to think about, and what we started to think about, is like money. Uh, it, it's a good thing because it, it provides security. We start out with no security, we're security lists, we're insecure, we're worried, right? And then money begins to provide some of that, and then the, then we have it, and we're like, oh, now we're secure, now we're not worried about stuff. But but then instead of making the next move, which is like, hey, there's probably other people who are insecure. We should maybe help them out. We we immediately go to ooh. I want a really big house. How big can I make it? And we skip the part where money is for mercy. And I'll tell you this, uh, however wealthy Jehoahaz was, there's not a person here who isn't wealthier. Everybody here has running water, Everyone here has got plumbing? He didn't. Everyone here has access to painkillers? He didn't. If he got a headache, tough. Everybody here has access to transportation? Everybody here has a cell phone or if your parents won't let you, you know, some other device that keeps you entertained endlessly. And we don't have enough This is cool. This is the, uh, the next, uh, the next, the next king here. So, uh, so Jehoiakim, uh, Jehoiakim has, I think he lasted three months, and then Pharaoh Necho II of Egypt came and just wiped him out. Took him to Egypt. He died there. Uh, this is, um, his, his brother. Okay. So, therefore, this is what Yahweh says to Jehoiakim, son of Judah's king Josiah. They won't grieve for him saying, Oh, my brother, my sister. They won't grieve for him, saying, my master, my majesty, oh great king. Instead, they're going to give him a donkey's burial. Dragging him outside the gates of Jerusalem and dumping him there. Because <laughs> yeah. the Bible, it's all about like you know love and stuff. Nope, very, very rated R once you start reading it. Go up to Lebanon and cry out. Lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out from Abarim because all your lovers have been ravished. I spoke to you when you felt safe and secure, but you said, I'm not going to listen. You've been that way since your youth, not listening to a word I say. Your shepherds will be tossed to the wind, your lovers taken off to exile. You will be embarrassed and humiliated by all your wickedness. Uh, Jehoiakim, Uh, he... He actually inherited a pretty good situation. Um, Once uh, Jehoahaz was out out of the picture, uh, there was a time of of safety and security. Uh, In fact, his name, uh, Jehoiakim, means uh, God raised up or God uh, set you up in a safe place, almost. So his name actually does kind of mean peace and security. Uh, and so he's in this place of peace and security. And what he does is he's like, he's looking around. He saw what happened to his brother, saw what happened to his dad, knows that there's problems with politics. And so he starts talking to the people in Lebanon, starts talking to the people in Bashan and Abarim. Uh, those words, Bashan, especially in Abarim, um, don't actually indicate places. Like, Abarim, for example, is the Hebrew for uh, those guys over there, like the people over the mountain. In fact, the Hebrew here is really it would be a good translation to say, uh, lift up your voice to the outsiders, other people, like people who are beyond our borders. Why? Well, what, what, uh, what, what Jehoiakim's thinking is he's like, okay, I, everything's good right now, and I'm safe and I'm secure, but things could change. And so I need to have a backup plan. So he, he goes to Lebanon, he goes to uh, uh, and all the out, out people beyond the land, and he starts making deals with them. Interestingly, in the ancient world, you make a deal with a foreign country, you also have to worship that country's gods. You have to sort of say, hey, we're going to make a deal with you, and part of that is we're going to respect and honor your gods, you're going to respect and honor ours, we're all going to be friends. Uh, do you hear about these, um, the porch thieves? It's the new thing. It's new hotness uh, for thieves. I, I found out about this, uh, Marilyn. I think we have a picture of the porch thieves. Uh, the yeah, this is cool. So it used to be that we went and shopped for things. Now uh, Amazon just brings them to us. They disappear on our porch. But normal people are at work or sometimes have places to go. So the, our friends at Amazon leave the boxes right on our porch, and uh, when we get home or whatever, we go and we collect our goods. It's a lot of fun. Porch thieves. These jerks. They go around and they they look and they see uh, the Amazon box, the Walmart box, and they just go snatch it. So I heard about this at Christmas. There were some news reports. And I like Amazon. And I'm frequently not home. Now here's the deal. I live in a very, very safe place. Like, I don't know what your situation is, but uh, the church uh, provides a home for Aaron and I. It's in uh, a very nice part of Mission Viejo. There's never been any crime anywhere near us. Uh, But I heard about this, and I started to freak out. And I thought, what should I do? Well, some of the things that have been happening is people have been using their uh, their video security systems to, like, set traps for porch thieves. This is cute. One guy, like, filled an Amazon box with, like, exploding paint. And so... (laughs) And then has like a video, so he like videos it, like so the porch thief comes and like, ha ha, sucker. I was like, yeah, that's cool, that's a good idea. I got a better one. I need a Glock 17. <laughs> yeah. Second Amendment, man. This is America. Uh, and I need a I need a, a a 1080p, you know, Amcrest security system so I can see what's going on. Here's the deal. I know that I'm safe and secure, but I could be safer. I could be more secure. And, you know, though, for people who've actually never been involved in violence, you know, we sort of glorify violence. We imagine ourselves as, like, superheroes. People who've been to war are like, no, it's horrible. You should never do that. Uh, the rest of us are like, oh, I need a gun. That's going to be great. I'm going to shoot somebody. Shoot a bad guy. So here I was, like, literally a month ago. I was totally safe and secure. I hear a news story that has nothing to do with me at all. And suddenly I'm browsing for service pistols that have, like, you know, extended magazines so I can make sure that no one gets my Amazon box. That's a true story, by the way. I actually am thinking about buying a gun, which is a horrible idea. I'm rethinking it right now. So here's Jehoiakim, and he's like, everything's great. His name literally means God. Like, Yahweh has set you up. Yahweh has made you safe. Like, literally, that's his name. And And he's like, but maybe I need a little insurance. Maybe I need to go to the people over there, over the hills, the over the hills people, and see if maybe we can have some, you know have a treaty and I'll, I'll worship a few of their gods and then I know that they'll have my back. This is that language of lovers and then shepherds in the next part of the text. Uh, lovers meaning whenever you hear like adultery language in the prophets, it's almost always talking about um, worshiping other gods. And so uh, Yahweh is saying through Jeremiah, oh, those other gods? Yeah, they've been, they're, your lovers are, they're hanging out with other people. They're not being faithful to you. Your shepherds, shepherds, the language in the next part of the text, uh, shepherds is the priests, right? The people who are, um, responsible for the religious, uh, part of things. And, and, and the priests of these other religions aren't going to be helpful, right? They're going to be tossed in the wind. They're, they're going to fail. You have this opportunity, Jehoiakim. I gave you all this safety and security. And what did you do with it? You tried to get more instead of trusting me. So instead of browsing for Glocks and video security systems, maybe God has provided some place of safety and security for a different reason. Maybe instead of constantly focusing on my own safety and security, maybe I need to trust that I really am safe and secure, and that God has given the opportunity of comfort and security for a different reason. Why do you think? That God gives you places of safety and security. When you're insecure, when you're not safe, especially at, what is it? I can't remember what the statistics are, but pretty much nobody um, under the age of 40 owns a home anymore, uh, which is a bummer. Because home ownership used to be like this uh, signal of safety and security, right? And so we have a whole generation of people who are renting, uh, if that, and, and they're, they're desperate to have safety and security. They're sitting there being like, oh, I need this, I want it, I want it. Because then they would have what? Freedom to worry about other things. They would have the freedom to do other stuff. When you are safe and secure, when you're comfortable, you actually have an opportunity to mature, to grow. You have an opportunity to know God better. To, you don't have to constantly worry about where the next paycheck is and what's going to happen next and if your walls are tall enough and if people are going to get it. You are freed up to do the thing that God has called you to, which is grow in Him, be His disciple. That's what security is for. That's why God gives it to you when you have it. And I'm telling you, for those of you, especially who are in places of material and physical security, that's becoming rarer and rarer in our culture. You have been given a huge gift. And part of what comes with that is an opportunity to be the person who's going after God, who's seeking God, instead of being like, okay, I got this, but now I need more. For those of you, and I don't know, there's a lot of us. I mean, you know, I'm one firing away from being homeless. <laughs> it's okay. My parents have a house. We'll just live there again. That was awesome. For those for those of us who are insecure, like here's the deal. Maybe 2019 is the year where we will have, we'll begin to have that security. Okay? That might happen. Here's the thing, though. We've been living in insecurity so long, we have an insecurity mindset. We're constantly thinking about that. And so we, we might transfer into a position where now we have some safety and security, and instead of using that the way God intended, grow in him, be his disciple, we instead are going to be like, I need more. And those of you who have it are taking it for granted. When And this is the next thing in your note sheet. Security is for maturity. The whole point of God giving you these respites from from want. Respite from insecurity. It's so that you can be mature. You can grow. You can become the kind of people who don't do what Jehoiakim did. So that's cool. I mean, kind of like, this is like a, like a, whoosh, whoosh. God's like, you're all kings and queens. Uh, that's going to, the last thing you your note cheat, I think we've kind of already established it, but you know, if you have any like place of, you know, you have any resources, you have any influence, you have security, you are a king or queen. And I think in some respects, everybody here is a king or a queen in some way. And that kind of puts this big pressure on us, right? It's like, okay, you got to do this. You got to be this person. Now, if you're not using your money for mercy, you're messing up. You know, if you're, if you're not using your power to protect, then you're a bad person. I think there's some truth to that. I, I do think that um, for 2019, Coast Bible Church needs to be a place where we practice power for protection, money for mercy, um, security for maturity. I believe that. But I also believe that we're flawed. And I believe that I'm not... Real good at those things. And maybe you're not too. And maybe it's actually really hard to do these things. And maybe we fail at them over and over and over again. Well, that's what happened in Israel. It was obvious what the kings were supposed to do. And they didn't. Because they were like us, they're scared. They're selfish. What Israel needed ultimately was a king who could really accomplish all of that. We, as little mini kings and queens, have need somebody who can actually accomplish that, who can really do it, who really does believe the core of his being that money is for mercy, that power is for protection, The security is for maturity, who lives that out fully and completely on our behalf, because guess what? We're going to make mistakes. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one who, who like, you know, if, if, the, if the prophet Jeremiah is weeping, he's weeping because he's looking for a king who can actually do what all the none of the kings succeeded at. Even Josiah, who was pretty good at it, I mean, What happened to him? He got wiped out when he was young. We, every single one of us, we can hear this call in our lives to become these amazing people who use our influence and use our resources. for. But guess what? We're going to keep tripping up. We're going to keep failing. And the only person who doesn't fail at that, the only person who can empower us to partially succeed is the real King Jesus. The first thing that we as Coast Bible Church have to do in 2019 is we have to say, you know what? I get it, God. I get what you're after with us. I know that you want to change my heart about my influence, my power. I know you want to change my heart about money. I know you want to change my heart about security. I get all that. But first, I've got to depend on you. I've got to depend on Jesus. Trust him because he's the one. He's the source from which all of that change can happen. It's his spirit that can actualize this. This is not a one, two, three, make your New Year's resolution and fix your life plan. It's It's a faith plan. It's a start with trust plan. And then over time, it is a be transformed plan. Maybe you're here and you haven't believed in Jesus. You have no access to that. You've got no power. You've got no life. You cannot be the kind of king or queen God has called you to be. It is not in you. You have to start with faith. You have to say, Jesus, I trust that you have life. I trust that you have power. I trust that you forgive. I want that for me now. Jesus, please save, forgive, empower me. If you are the kind of person who's already believed, you you know you're a Christian, but you're looking at your life and you're like, you know what, I am pretty insecure, I don't think about giving my money away, and I really do want to use my power and influence to make me look awesome. If that's who you are, you have to start out and say, Jesus, I want to be like you again. Jesus, I need your spirit to come and empower me, to humble me, to change me so I can be like you again. It's you, not me. And once you've done that, once we've set it aside and said, God, we can't do it, (laughs) we've tried, we've made the resolutions, we've tried the discipline, we've tried to do, change our hearts, it just doesn't work. Once Once we've humbled ourselves and said that and said, Jesus, okay, it's you, it's your power, it's who you are, that's when he can begin to lead us again. That's when the Savior can lead us again. And that's when we can stop being bad kings and start on the path to becoming good kings and queens in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for um, the lessons of Israel, the words of the prophet who called out injustice, who called out evil, who sought for what it was because you showed it to him and was fearless in his denunciation of corruption. But God, we confess that his denunciation of corruption indicts us too, God. That we too are people who are broken. We have a hard time using power correctly. We have a tough time understanding what money is for. We have a hard time using security the way that you would want us to use it. God, we are tempted constantly in the flesh. But God, we believe that through faith your spirit can empower us and the Savior, Jesus Christ, can lead us into life and into transformation. We pray that for 2019, God, that we will be the people who let the Savior lead us.